Welcome to the 91st episode of Deluca, a podcast between two friends about the latest in society, politics, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkulisan. And I'm Sweetie Lee. And this week, we have a very special guest. Vanya, who is a doctor and a friend of ours, who will share with us her thoughts and feelings and just the general consensus of doctors in Indonesia who are handling COVID. It's more of a conversational episode where we humanize doctors and the struggles that they're going through and just to show our appreciation and support for them as they're in the front lines battling this epidemic. And of course, listeners, everything that Vanya is saying, uh, her views are clearly of her own. You know, she doesn't speak on behalf of the hospital she's working on. This is just a good conversation between friends. So we hope you'll enjoy it. And just for reference, we're not really discussing the medical aspects of COVID. It's more like what the situation is in hospitals in Indonesia, uh, how it was when the pandemic initially started, and what we can do to support our doctors and nurses and healthcare workers in Indonesia going forward. Here's to it. special guest today who is a doctor and a personal friend of ours personally for me for 17 years since we were 12 and I was a SM seventh grader and Sweden for even longer since you guys were in preschool. Mm-hmm. We're really excited to have Vanya talk to us because uh, not only is she a good friend of ours but she is a medical professional. She's a doctor. Um, obviously you can hear Stephanie and I talk about COVID all the time but we actually thought it might be good to have a real medical professional talk about the situation and not just us blabbering on so we're excited to have you in the podcast Vanya. Hi everyone my name is Pania. I'm a doctor here in Jakarta. I'm a second year clinical nutrition resident and I'm glad to be here. What does it mean to be a second year resident? So I graduated I graduated in 2015 and then I did my internship in Papua for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I worked uh, in Jakarta for two years, and then now I'm a resident. So for those who don't know, can you explain a little bit about the medical system in Indo in terms of like, okay, you go straight to med school, and then how many years is that? And then, you know, internship. Okay, so from high school, you go straight to med school. That's uh, in total six years. So three years of preclinical, and then three years clinical, and then you have to do mandatory internship for you to get your license Mm -hmm. so total seven years of training and then how long is the is your residency my residency is three to four years three and a half to four years so you still have like two more years yeah one and a half i hope (laughs) but we can't call you dr fania right like you are you i am a doctor (laughs) but just in case which stage are you a doctor after I graduate from university, from med school, I'm a doctor, but then I'm not allowed to practice yet before I complete my internship for a year. So yeah, she's a real doctor, guys. <laughs> yep, I am. You know, obviously, Steph and I can talk about how we feel about COVID-19 for eternity, but it's not really relevant to most people. We felt like... Our opinions good. don't matter. It's Our fine. Our opinions don't really matter. It's, you know, 
it's about time we actually got a medical professional in this conversation. <laughs> and so we're very excited to have Vanya um, share some of our thoughts and experiences in the field, especially in Indonesia, where I'm sure um, the stories about the doctor's experience is not as uh, widely known as maybe like doctors in the States or, or other countries. Yeah, especially... I mean, maybe um, if you're in the medical community, you know about it. But in terms of like the general public, we don't really hear about the concerns doctors have on this issue or just how they're feeling in general. So that's why we want to talk to Vanya today about why, what the consensus is or if there is a consensus and how the doctors are, you know, facing this global pandemic in Indonesia. As of right now, you know, we're recording this, you know, in the middle of May. How are things right now in the field, you know, at the hospitals in, in Indonesia? I guess in Jakarta, where you're practicing right now. I think right now the panic has gone down, definitely. Mm-hmm. And people is like thinking of this as like a new normal, mm-hmm. especially the medical professionals. Now it's just wearing an N95 mask is like a normal thing. And people are generally more cautious about, like, touching and being around other people. How was it before? Like, you know, when when did it start to become a serious situation that the doctors are like, oh, this is different? I remember this is, has nothing to do with, like, the medical professional. But I remember there was, like, this birthday party <laughs> that I had to go to. I remember it was, like, in February. So maybe, like, the this birthday was, like, early March. Yeah. And that was the first time that I was so scared to go out. But the malls haven't shut down or anything. Mm -hmm. So back then, I was like in this one hospital. So we rotate hospitals. Mm -hmm. And since I'm a resident and I'm like not responsible for myself, but like there are people responsible for me and my well-being. So they told me not to come in, actually. Really? Because they were scared. And that was early on. And then every case of pneumonia is like such a big deal. Hmm. Because I came in contact with this one patient. They told me to not to come in. Oh, wow. So they were taking it pretty seriously. And they were really scared in the beginning. In those early days, was there enough PPE, protective personal equipment, for people? No. I remember in this particular hospital I was working at. Because uh, in Indo, the hospital are class A, B, C, and D, A, B, C, D. And this was like B, class B. So what does that classification sound for? Is it terms for? It's number of beds oh, and okay. facilities. So there are different classes within the hospital system that the hospitals are classified by? Yeah. So there's the primary care, like the puskesmas. Mm-hmm. And then if they can't handle it, they will um, rujuk. Send the patient. Yeah, send, send the patient to class D and then C, B, A. So I was at B. How many class A hospitals are there? Are there a lot? No, definitely not. But class A hospitals are really big, so they can like handle a lot of patients. So it's like a pyramid of which um, yeah. from the number of... D is way more than A and so forth. 
So you were at class B and... I was at class B and I remember... So we have this like isolation ward. Every time they have like respiratory illnesses, you have to put that patient in the isolation ward because it's special. It has special suction. So the germs cannot go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I remember every time you come in, you have to wear an N95 before the COVID era. Mm -hmm. I remember it was the last week that I was still going in. Um, they are starting running out of like the N95s. So we had to like... Oh my goodness. It was so bad. We had to reuse them. So after you use them, so you have to put your normal surgical mask on Uh and and then your N95 and then another uh, surgical mask on and then go in. And then when you go out, you put your N95 back. (laughs) What? So another person can use it. I know. It was... So another doctor like can use it? Yeah, and I was just like, standing there and just like, no, I'd rather buy my own. Like, that's what the hospitals are providing because we're just like, we're running out. We're thinking like this is going to be a long-term thing. So we need mm-hmm, to save mm-hmm. up on these masks. And uh, if you know something about N95, it has to have contact with your skin. Yeah, yeah. And it has to form like a seal. So if you have a surgical mask before the N95, it's not going to work. <laughs> so like, it's not even the, like... Yeah, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid. And the germs can like leak through the side. So I'm just like... And this was early on. So it's not even like a month into the pandemic. Why was there such a shortage? Because um, for like patients in the isolation, it, they have to see that patient a lot. Mm-hmm. Pneumonia is a big deal. And it's not just like doctors, it's like nurses as well. So, so we have to share with the nurses as well. So that's a lot of people coming and going. And we cannot, and they cannot provide one mask per person per day. And then after, you know, you left that hospital, right? Because you went to a different hospital yeah. for your next uh, rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, went to a, I went to a class A. What was that like? They were much more generous with like the PPE. Okay. Because by this time, everyone was starting to donate. Okay. Because uh, before, even when, before COVID, like most of my PPE, like my normal surgical mask, I would bring my own mm-hmm. because I like to throw mine away after a few hours yeah. and they would only give you I think like one for every two days or something what okay this was pre-covid so whatever it, they, they weren't really thinking about oh yeah infection from like respiratory blah 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 because yeah. and then uh yeah in the class a hospital you have to wear the if you work in the emergency room you have to wear the whole PPE, the shoes, mm-hmm. the whole outfit, the helmets, the face mask, the two masks, goggles, and everything. Mm-hmm. So I didn't work in the ER. I worked at the ward. So in this hospital, the ward is eight floors, all connected. So there's one giant void. So everyone came in contact with everyone. Oh, gosh. Oh. And... Uh, except for like the ICU, the HCU, the isolation rooms. So they selected special floors for uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. But those, I don't feel like that contains the infection. 
because they don't have special like air control, etc. Mm-hmm. So we all wore the coats, the special coats and the face mask. Right. Yeah. But but by this time everyone was like donating. So we had a lot. So it was really important for people to donate masks. Yeah. And like the gowns. Oh wow. I didn't know that. Like I didn't think that the donations ended up mattering. <laughs> it mattered. <laughs> you're, oh, you're, it mattered. Classic pessimistic self. I know that the policy right now, I, I think it's still the same in Jakarta right now, at least, is that there are designated COVID hospitals where COVID patients are sent to. Uh, so how does that how does that work when your hospital was still accepting COVID patients? Is it like... So right now, um, if you go to any emergency room, they will make you do a blood test and they will make you do a CT scan for whatever reason Mm -hmm. even if you come there for like an accident or whatever you still have to do it and if your lab result or your ct scan came back like suspicious they won't accept you they'll send you away to a covid hospital oh that's good that's smart way to do it yeah yeah because then you risk contaminating Mm -hmm. right now uh the policy is no one can work for more than like eight i think 12 hours 12 or 18 hours like before like the anesthesiologist the internist, etc., they will work like t- 24 to 36 hours per shift. Mm. And now it's like you have to have a 12 hour period at home mm. uh, after your shift, and the shift is only 12 hours long. So, is that a way to keep you guys healthy? Yeah, you know, you guys are not overworked, yeah, 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 yeah. especially now in Ramadan and people are not drinking. I spoke to a lot of my friends, yeah in the ER, like, actually in contact with, like, COVID patients every day, and they feel like they're going to war because they don't, they feel like they're not prepared with the PPE and the government is not on their side, but they have to do their job, so they feel like they're going to war every day and you don't know if you're going to die, you know? And um, back then, like, the recovery rate in Indo was still really low. Mm -hmm. So people think, like, if you get it, you're going to die. So they were really, it's more like, a mind thing they're just really freaked mm-hmm. obviously for the doctors are you guys frequently tested like how are you how are they monitoring your your exposure to it i guess yeah you get you you get a rapid test every week and if you're a rapid te- you you only do a rapid test uh once just once if it came back positive you have to do a swab oh okay and it's free in my hospital it's free and you have to do it so, you know, with when the panic first happened and you mentioned your friends feeling like they're going to war every day, what was the thing about the way the government handled the situation? So back then, we didn't have lockdown yet, mm-hmm. right? Uh, not even PSBB yet. It was just like, try to stay two meters apart, etc. Yeah. And a lot of my friends who worked with like COVID patients were really angry. Because they know how this spread yeah. and they feel like, I know on one side you have to think about, well, if they don't work, they don't have any money. Yet. But then, I don't know, like a lot of my friends are just really angry mm-hmm. that there weren't any like lockdown. They were really pro lockdown.
what has Rama been? So Rama is your boyfriend, and what kind of doctor is he? He is an anesthesiology resident, so he works in the ICU and the ER. Oh, okay. So that's why he's handling more COVID patients. Yeah. How has he been doing? How has he been feeling? Just overworked and tired because there's a new designated building for COVID now in our hospital. So And that's where he works? Yeah. There's another, a whole, now they have to be divided, right? So there's a new shift. So the whole 12-hour thing is not working. Because you, you switch between in total, you work buildings. more. Is that how it works? Before, like before, maybe you have like three shifts or two shifts a week. Now you have like seven, but it's just shorter. In terms of PPE, like you mentioned that the hospitals felt they weren't ready. Besides protective equipment, what, what was lacking in terms of like preparedness? Mm, in the beginning, ventilators, um, if you know... Rumah Sakit Persahabatan. Yes. Friendship Hospital. It's like, yeah, it's like the only... It's one of the COVID hospitals, right? Yeah, it's the first COVID hospital because it's the mm. Jakarta's only Rumah Sakit Paru. Respiratory-focused hospital. Yeah, so that's why it became the first COVID hospital. Mm. Anyway, in the beginning, they were really full and they were like begging for ventilators. Oh, like. Yeah, like even to my hospital, to other hospitals, they were begging. And out of like 10 doctors, one of them contracted COVID. Wow. And like the most deaths in like the healthcare professionals is from that hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really bad in the beginning. That place was probably a war zone. Yeah. Like Rama's brother actually works there. So I know firsthand that he's really stressed. And they're, everyone's just like angry all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they're doing their job, but they're like, they know they, they should be changing their PPE now to a new one, but they don't have any, etc. It's like you guys signed up to save lives, but you didn't sign up to fight in a war, essentially. Yeah. I was in like a Zoom call, like a video call with him and mm-hmm. Rama. And he actually told us, we did everything right. We did everything per protocol, but... Patients are still dying and we don't know what to do. So it was really sad. And he was just like almost in the brink of crying because he's like so tired. He slept there and he did everything according to what he's supposed to do. But why are people still dying? Did he have colleagues who died as well? Yeah. From the same hospital? From his hospital? Yeah. He knew. Yeah, he had colleagues that passed away. I have colleagues that passed away. That's crazy. Like, a lot of the doctors are overworked, so their immune system is, like, lower. Now, it's, like, the shifts, the 12-hour shifts, is because of that. And now, there's, like, barely any doctors contracting it. You mentioned earlier in our conversation that this is now the new normal. I mean, how do you see things go... For the next few months, you know, it, it doesn't seem like as the uh, we're nearing the end yet. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know when this is gonna end. And you know, I've been obsessed. I had this point in my life where I was like obsessing with the numbers, like mm-hmm. the increase of like new patients, the mortality rate, etc. And it's not looking good in Indo, at least not anytime soon. Yeah, we haven't peaked yet. So yeah, yeah. so. You just got to be prepared. But if you notice, even in the roads now, it's starting to get more grommet. Mm-hmm. Because people people are over 
the whole fear. Mm. And they're just like, oh, whatever. This is like the new normal. It's okay. If if we get it, it they can heal us, whatever. Uh-huh. But I can tell you like in the hospital, like at least healthcare, healthcare workers, we don't think like that. We're still very much paranoid. Mm-hmm. Like, like every time before leaving the hospital, we shower. Like after we get home, we shower because I still live with my parents and they're like in their 60s. Mm-hmm. Like I'm afraid I'll like bring something home. And like a lot of my friends are afraid they're bringing things home. So like now my hospital is giving uh, free hotel rooms oh. since this, this past month. So a lot of people with babies, etc., are like staying in hotels. I mean, I think that's good, right? That's always the fear of. I mean, if normal people are afraid of bringing the virus home to to their families, obviously doctors and nurses and healthcare workers are also worried about that. But you know what's a big thing right now? Like a lot of doctors are. There's a lot of prejudice against doctors now. Like what? they're getting kicked out of their. Yeah, they're getting kicked out of their costs. Of their like, oh, because people are afraid. Yeah, like it. It happened to like a friend of mine. Wow. Like she lives in like in a kos-kosan, and the kos like told her to like you can't stay here anymore because you work in this and this hospital. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't know if you're bringing it to the other people, etc. So yeah, there's a lot of that. That's messed up. I mean, there were stories of like you know when uh when a doctor died because of COVID and they want to just like bury the body, you know, the family wants to bury the body, like the villagers or the people in the neighborhood. They're like, no, you can't bury him. Like you can't, like you can't do anything. There's a lot of prejudice. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of prejudice. People are scared, right? Like, but they don't realize they're they're literally fighting for you, <laughs> and they have died for you. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, this this. Even though, obviously, we are not anywhere near the end of this yet, I think this kind of conversation is, I think, good. And I hope for our listeners, it's also helpful to hear something from a medical professional's perspective and really, you know, hear about how scary it can get and how human the situation is. Doctors are people, too. Like we said, they're, they're people, too, and they... We've got to treat them not only as heroes, but also as, as human beings that get tired <laughs> and need sleep. Yeah, and, and, and angry. And angry. And, you know, not just like, the, I feel like, you know, we're, the public is obviously they want to thank the doctors, they want to thank the nurses and everyone. But you can't just say, like, thank you and treat them as heroes, but not actually do something to make their situation better. Yeah. And I think we need to do that right like we need to talk more about how the doctors are doing and bring that topic into attention so that obviously the government and other people can do something about it because like you said if you guys are not doing your job we're dead <laughs> we did yeah we did that dead, dead. and donations matter guys i guess it's like it's quite interesting to me right like it's in a double bind situation right if you create this feeling of doctors and nurses as superheroes and heroes in general it like creates this like idea that you guys are like don't need sleep and are tireless and can just take on all of these sacrifices without any regard for like making it the situation better but at the same time if you admit some level of vulnerability and humanness it's like oh you can't complain because this is the kind of work that you sign up for 
And that's really unfair to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, that's the reality of it. At least in Indo. I think right now what we really need to do is that as a society in general, like people in the medical profession, also outside of it, we just need to be more responsible to each other, right? Like you got to think about each other's situations. If you can take care of yourself, take care of yourself. If you feel like you need to go see a doctor, see the right kind of doctor. And, you know, do all the simple things like they're inconvenient and they suck. But we're doing all these simple things of social distancing, washing your hands in order to save lives, I guess, in our own no way. While you guys, the doctors are saving lives in your amazing way. And we need to like make sure that your situation is heard about as well. Yeah, there's this philosophy book, but it's on it's called What We Owe to Each Other. And it's like thinking about morality and um just like how we decide on what is right and wrong based on like what we owe each other contractually living in the same world in the same space find balance. while you know still giving a level of personal freedom and liberty and it's just like that's the kind of thing that i'm thinking about now like yeah you know it, it's about in the end of the day being a good person regardless of what religion you have it's like how do we operate in this world mm-hmm. especially now i think i can't help but thinking about it more given the situation we're in and how our literally our like what we do every day can affect other people yeah important to to think about life not just based on who you are and where you are in the world and what privileges you have but as a society because now more than ever i think it's very obvious that we live in a world with other people (laughs) yep and they need our help as much as we need their help too Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, dialica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us on these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!